Uh, well, with that, uh, I have the privilege of uh, delivering God's word for us. Um, our text today is from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. Um, I think it's going to be on the screen. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. So Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. This is the reading of God's word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're continuing our series today on the names of God. Um, last week, we looked at the first name of God found in the first line of the first page of the Bible, the name Elohim, which I mentioned is the most basic uh, common Hebrew name for God in the Old Testament. But now we're going to start to get more specific. Okay, And today, uh, we're looking at the name El Shaddai. Okay, El Shaddai. Um, if you're an 80s baby like me, uh, probably the only time you've heard that name El Shaddai is in this one Amy Grant song. And um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's okay, because I forgot how bad the song was. Um, I found it on Spotify this week, and I made some of our staff listen to it. It's really, really bad. Um, no offense to Amy Grant. But um, anyways, that name El Shaddai uh, puts two words together, El, which means God, and then Shaddai, which gets translated Almighty. Okay, and it's translated that way because some believe the word is derived from another Hebrew word, Shadu. That means mountain, suggesting strength and might. Um, but you can also trace that word Shaddai back to another Hebrew word, Shad, which means breast, suggesting nourishment and sustenance. Okay, so you put all of that together and you basically get a picture of a God who's not only strong and mighty, but a God who, like a mother, supplies his children with everything that is necessary for their survival. You know, last week I mentioned that it's pointless to have a God who is all-powerful if that God could care less about our well-being. You know, we need a God who is both transcendent and imminent. We need a God who is both bigger than our chaos, but at the same time sits with us in the midst of our chaos, right? And we saw that last week in the creation narrative in Genesis 1. And we see this same idea again embedded in this name, El Shaddai, okay? Um, now, the first time we see God introduce himself as El Shaddai is right here in the text we're looking at today. And we find ourselves in the middle of the story of Abraham, whose name at the beginning of Genesis 17 is still Abram, okay? And to give us some context, uh, back in Genesis 12, God calls Abram uh, and he says, you know, I want you to leave everything you know 
I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. I want you to go to a foreign land, to this land that I'm sending you because I'm going to make you into a great nation. Okay, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you and your offspring. And you have to understand when Abram receives this call, uh, the guy is already 75 years old with no children. Okay, and it's really interesting because his, you know what his name Abram means? It means exalted father. Exalted father. That's like the irony of all ironies. Okay, it's like when a really big guy is named Tiny. Okay, I don't know any really big guys named Tiny, but, you know, it's like we talked last week about how, how names carry weight, right? Imagine being childless and then having to carry the weight of that name, Abram exalted father around with you for 75 five years. It almost feels like a cruel joke, right? And then here comes God when you're 75 saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation. If I were Abram, like I would think God was trolling me, okay? Well, we'll fast forward to Genesis 16. A lot of time has passed, still no kids. So Abram's wife Sarai is like, look, we're not getting any younger, you know, maybe God was trolling you because it's been over a decade since he made that promise and we still don't have any children. And so what happens? She says, I'm not going to wait any longer. Um, I have this slave Hagar. I want you to go sleep with her. Let's just speed up this process. And so Ab Abram does that. And lo and behold, Hagar conceives. Okay. And here's what's interesting. You would think once Hagar conceives, Sarai would be really happy now right? Because the very thing she was hoping would happen, happened. Everything worked out according to her plan. And yet when you read through Genesis 16, you realize Sarai isn't happy at all. She's more bitter and more resentful than she was before, right? And isn't that what happens every time we try to take matters into our own hands? Isn't that what happens every time we try to control things that aren't our, ours to control? You know, the easiest way to have kids who are out of control is to try to control them, right? The easiest way to bring out the worst in your significant other is to try to control them. Because even when we get what we want, we will not be satisfied, right? And when you try to take matters into your own hands and when you try to will the promises of God in your life independently of God, what you're implying is that because God can't or won't fulfill his promises, you somehow have to make them happen on your own. Right? And so you end up dating people you probably shouldn't date. You end up choosing jobs solely for the paycheck. You end up making compromises in your faith and then justifying them in your mind. And that's just a recipe for disaster in your life. And we see that over and over again in Scripture. Okay? And, and this is where we find ourselves at the beginning of Genesis 17. Okay? You got two people whose marriage has spiraled out of control. You have a maidservant, Hagar, who's been forced into a situation she never signed up for. And then on top of all that, we read that Abram is now 99 years old, okay? Which means it's been almost 13 years uh, since he got Hagar pregnant, and then almost a quarter century since the Lord promised to make Abram a great nation, okay? So if you're Abram, you're definitely thinking, this isn't happening, right? Not only am I really old, I've gone and messed things up beyond repair because I tried to control things that weren't mine to control, right? So this is the point when Abram probably should throw, throw in the towel. And yet it's exactly at this point that God appears to Abram and says, I am God Almighty. 
I am El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. What is humanly inconceivable for Abram is more than possible for El Shaddai. When we are at our lowest point, that is when the power of God is most evident. As the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians writes, when I am weak, he is strong. Right? I don't think it's a coincidence that um, El Shaddai, you know, where it appears most in the Bible is in the book of Job. Right? This story about a man who's lost everything that is near and dear to him, who has no other options as, and is at the end of his rope. Right? But it reminds us that it's when you have nothing left to hold on to that you finally begin to realize that God is more than enough. Um, at this very moment, my Eagles are playing the Bucks in the wild card game uh, of the NFL playoffs. Okay, the Lord knew to have the game during our service. Okay, because I think God really wanted to test my allegiance to Him. Okay, so please don't uh, tell me what the score is. Um, but as you know, uh, the Bucks have the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. I hate playing Tom Brady. Okay, even though we did beat him in the Super Bowl, which was glorious, okay, I will still give it to him that he's the GOAT. Okay? And the thing about Tom Brady is that uh, with any other quarterback, if you're down a touchdown with a minute left, uh, everyone's saying the game is over. Okay, time to throw in the towel. Let's leave the stadium. Right? But if it's Tom Brady, a minute is like an eternity. Everyone is saying they left too much time on the clock for Tom Brady. Because everyone knows when number 12 is on the field, magical things tend to happen, okay? I hope no magical things happen today, okay? Um, but generally speaking, that's what happens. And, and we're just talking about a man. Well, well, how much more can you expect from the one who last week we read, who spoke all of creation into existence with a word? Everything about Abram's life at the beginning of Genesis 17 screams hopelessness and despair. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. When El Shaddai is in charge, magical things tend to happen. God can do things we don't think he can do in ways we don't think, think he can do them. Right? Now follow me here. Okay? Here's what I think is really weird. Uh, God declares himself as El Shaddai to Abram. And then what you're expecting next is for God to then perform a miracle, right? To give Abram the thing he's been waiting for. Like, like what I want in verse one is God to do like David Blaine stuff. Okay, I want him to be like, um, I am El Shaddai. Hey, go to your wife now. I think she might be pregnant, right? Like that would have been awesome. Okay, but, but he doesn't do that. He says, I am El Shaddai, and then he says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. He says, I'm God Almighty. I can do anything, but you're going to need to wait more. And then in the meantime, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Right? I mean, like you think you've been waiting for something for a long time. 25 years is a long time. Right? And then to have God say, but stick with me a little longer. Right? That's got to be frustrating, but this is often what the Christian life feels like. Because God cares about more about turning you into a specific kind of person than he does about giving you everything you want. Right? That is who God is. 
Okay? Now, what does it mean here for Abram to walk faithfully with God and to be blameless? Okay? Because that's an interesting phrase there. Because if it means what we think it means, then Abram's already failed. Right? Abram hasn't walked faithfully. Abram definitely hasn't been blameless. He's literally living with the consequence of his sin and unbelief as we speak. But watch what happens next. Okay? In verse 3, it says, Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Okay? So get this. God says, I'll make my covenant with you if you're blameless and walk before me faithfully. Abram falls face down on the ground, and then God says, here's my covenant with you. All Abram did was fall face down. He hasn't walked faithfully at all. So how is that walking faithfully? And the implication here is this. Walking faithfully with God begins with the acknowledgement that you don't have what it takes to walk faithfully with God. Being blameless begins with the acknowledgement that you aren't blameless and that you need someone to be blameless for you, to be faithful when you are faithless, right? It's the ultimate judo move. God wants Abram to know that this covenant does not hinge on Abram's ability to uphold his end of the bargain. It hinges on the character of God. And Abram can start living the life God has for him until he's brought to the place of complete and utter dependence and humility, until he reaches the end of himself, until he gets on his knees and he says, I can't do this on my own, right? Think about this. It takes Abram 99 years to be stripped of all his self-sufficiency, to recognize all his previous attempts to live outside the will of God were foolish endeavors. Abram needs to come to the place where he has nothing left to hold on to except God. And it's only when he's face down in the dirt that God says, now you're ready to receive all that I have for you, a new name and a new story. In verse five, listen to this. He says, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now, here's the thing. God changes Abram's name to Abraham. You know what Abraham means? Father of many. So he gets his name changed from exalted father to father of many is pretty much, they pretty much mean the exact same thing, right? It's like changing a guy's name from tiny to small, okay? You, you would think like, what's the point of changing a person's name if the new name is going to mean the same thing as the old name? And what God is trying to show us here is that it's not the name in and of itself that's significant. What's significant is who is doing the renaming, What's significant is that God renames a 99-year-old man and says, you're starting over today. Like some of y'all, I know, I hear you guys talk and you think your life is over when you turn 30, okay? Some of you think your life is over when you turn 40, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to there and I, many days, I think that's when my life is over, okay? No offense if you're over 40, okay? Abram's life 
begins at the age of 99. I want you to think about that. Names are given to babies at birth. When God gives Abraham a new name, he's saying, today is the day you're reborn. You think you're too old to change? You think you're too old to make something of your life? You think your marriage is too far gone to be repaired? You think your situation is a lost cause? God says, I am El Shaddai. Welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. That is powerful, right? And and I love that God starts by saying, I will make you the father of many nations. But then in the very next breath, he says, I have made you a father of many nations. He says he's going to do something. And then in the next verse, he says, I've already done it. Isaac isn't even born yet. There is no evidence of a child whatsoever. And God says, I have made you a father of many nations to imply that when El Shaddai promises something, it's as good as done. Like you and I, because we're human beings, we don't always see what God is doing. We don't always know what God is up to. We don't know exactly how he's going to accomplish his purposes in our lives. But if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And how do we know this? Because generations after Abraham, God's people found themselves in a very similar situation. They were at the end of their rope. The world was a dark place full of war, violence, and oppression. And in their minds, God was silent. And all they had was this promise of a king who would one day come and fix everything that was broken in the world. And they waited and they waited and they waited. And in their waiting, they grew impatient. In their waiting, they tried to take matters into their own hands. They demanded that God give them an earthly king only to watch every earthly king come up miserably short. And then one day, a baby was born in Bethlehem that would change everything. And this baby would grow up and live the perfect life, walking faithfully before God and living blameless in every way, doing what you and I could never do. And everywhere he went, he would encounter people at the end of their rope, people defined by their failures, people deemed unclean by their communities, people living without any real sense of hope or purpose. And he would invite them into a new story, fishermen, Lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, all given another chance at life. Jesus was El Shaddai in the flesh. Okay? Now, you can imagine then how crushing of a letdown it must have been for all these people who basically dropped everything to follow Jesus to then have to watch him be hung on a cross. Right? Their hopes and dreams were tethered to this man and now he was dead, right? They probably felt like it was over. This is really the end because the one guy we hung our hopes and dreams on, he's dead. They probably felt like Abram at 99 years old, wondering if God just forgot about him. But what these people could never have fathomed is that three days later, God would raise Jesus from the dead. And in doing so, fulfill the promise he made to Abraham in Genesis 17 to establish an everlasting covenant between him and his people. What was humanly inconceivable to them was more than possible with El Shaddai. 
This is such great news for those of us this morning who find ourselves in what we perceive to be an impossible situation. For those of us who feel stuck in life, for those of us who can't see things getting any better, we may not know exactly how God's promises are going to be fulfilled in our lives. Because God never promises us a specific job or a specific person or a specific kind of life circumstance. I know so many people who thought 2022 finally was the year that things were going to get better. And here we are again, having no idea what tomorrow holds, having no idea when this pandemic is going to end. So much uncertainty, you know, so much like hopelessness again. But here's the thing, even though God doesn't give us all the details, what God promises us is that he will never leave us or forsake us. That he not only has the power to deliver us from our darkest moments, but he has the power to nourish and sustain us in our darkest moments. That's what the name El Shaddai means. You know, Abram may not have been able to articulate it in the moment, but, uh, you know, the day his son Isaac was finally born, I imagine that he looked back on those 25 years of waiting. And I imagine he said to himself, man, not only did El Shaddai finally make the impossible happen in my life, he sustained me while I waited for that thing to happen. Not only did he bring final deliverance, but he sustained me while I waited for final deliverance, right? That should be so com comforting for those of us who are in a season of waiting right now. God doesn't just promise final deliverance. God promises nourishment and sustenance while waiting for final deliverance. Okay, so let me close with this. Let me ask all of you a question. Is there anything that you've just stopped praying for because you think it's a lost cause? Is there anything you're too afraid to pray for because it's too complicated or difficult? Because we do this all the time, right? And, you know, uh, our church, I wouldn't consider us a charismatic church, right? And, uh, you know, we, people who aren't as charismatic theologically tend to scoff at people who pray huge prayers, right? Prayers like, Lord, heal this nation. Because there's something in our minds that thinks that's going to be impossible. Lord, bring unity between the Democrats and the Republicans. It's like, we don't even want to pray that prayer because it just, it feels outside of the realm of possibility. I mean, you go on Twitter and you're like, that is never going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I, I talk to people and counsel people all the time who say, you know, like, I mean, I'm not going to really pray that God fixes my relationship, you know, with my parents, whom I haven't spoken to in 20 years, because what's the point? You know, I'm just going to pray that, you know, God keeps them safe and healthy and, you know, we're cordial with one another because there's something about it that feels too difficult, even for God. You know, I was talking to someone this week who asked me, is it okay to pray for healing if you know a person has a terminal illness? Because isn't that like wishful thinking? You know, at that point, shouldn't we just pray more for the family? Shouldn't we just pray more for God's peace to be with this person? I mean, if the doctors are saying it's terminal, you know, isn't it going to be just disappointing 
if the thing you pray for doesn't happen? And it's a fair question, but I'll say this. If you want to know what you really believe about God, ask yourself what you're willing to pray for. Let me say that again. If you want to know what you really believe about God, ask yourself what you're willing to pray for. Because if you believe God is El Shaddai, then there would be nothing you wouldn't be willing to pray for. All right? And again, we may not always get the answer we want. But we know that as long as El Shaddai is in charge, we will always have what we need. So we can feel free to bring all of our requests to God as ridiculous as they may seem because we can have full confidence that the one who raised Christ from the dead is capable and willing to make the impossible happen in our lives as well. That's who El Shaddai is. Okay? So if I could give us all one application for this week, it would be that. Pray for something that you've never prayed for Or pray for something that you've maybe stopped praying for because you thought it was too hard for God. And I want you to pray to El Shaddai, to God Almighty, the strong and mighty one who nourishes and sustains. Let's pray. To close, um, I want to read psalm 91 as our prayer and i read this for our staff this week because in preparation for this sermon i looked up all the um all the parts in scripture where where the name el shaddai comes out and i thought it was very interesting that we find it in psalm 91 and this is a psalm i prayed over and over again when the pandemic first started in in 2020 and it was just a reminder again as we find ourselves in a very similar place here in 2022 that that same God who sustained us through this pandemic is the same God who is with us now. And so hear these words from Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of El Shaddai. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. 
I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Amen.